Well, go ahead and be seated. Grab your Bible with me and go over to Acts chapter number 10. It's hard to believe we only got like 19 more chapters left or something like that. But uh, So we're going to roll with this, amen? And I've been enjoying teaching through the book of Acts. Acts chapter 10, and uh, we're going to read verses 34 tonight through 48. This is the, the last part of the chapter, and I tell you, there's a whole lot before. So I'm going to read tonight, and then we're going to come in and fill in the context of this chapter. Acts chapter 10, verse 34 tonight, when you, if you have it, uh, you can read along with me. If not, it's on the screen for you. Uh, here's what it says. Then Peter opened his mouth and said, In truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality, but in every nation who fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. The word which God sent to the children of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. That word you know, which was proclaimed throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached, how that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are all witnesses of all things which he did in both the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they killed by hanging on a tree. But him God raised up on the third day and showed him openly, not to all the people, but to witnesses chosen before God, even to us who ate and preached to the people, and to testify that it is he who, ordained, who was ordained by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets witness through his name. Whoever believes in him will receive the remission of sins. And notice this in verse 44, that while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon those who heard the word. And those of the circumcision who believed were astonished as many as came with Peter because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. And then Peter answered, Can anyone forbid water that these should not be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord, and they asked him to stay for a few days. Lord, tonight as we look at this passage, I pray that you speak to our hearts. Give us clarity. Help us to see this with fresh eyes. And we give you all of the praise for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, tonight I want to talk to you and teach from this subject, Peter's problem. Peter's problem. Really simple. Uh, We've been studying through the book of Acts because I believe, as I've said week and week again, that the book of Acts is, out of all of the New Testament, it is a historical document. Um, most of you probably know this, but if not, I'll let you know. Luke, one of the disciples, um, actually wrote the book of Acts. It is a historical, historically accurate account of the establishing of the early church through the apostles. It's called Acts. Some people have called it the Acts of the Apostles. Some people have called it the Acts of the Holy Spirit. I like to combine them and call it the Acts of the Holy Spirit through the Apostles because it's showing us the establishing of the New Testament church. I'm not going to recap all of the chapters, but, you know, chapter 1, we, we dealt with uh, the resurrection of Jesus and how he appeared to his disciples. They saw him caught back into heaven. Chapter 2, we see the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Chapter 3, man healed. Chapter 4, the man 
the, you know, the disciples were imprisoned. And, uh, and then we go on. We see Stephen in chapter 5. We see the deacons installed in chapter 6. Then we see um, Philip and, and several things after that. And uh, last week we looked at the conversion of the apostle Paul. How God called him and chose him as a firebrand. Plucked him out. Divine intervention. Called him to be a light to the Gentile world. And caused him to change into another person. We talked about if God can change anybody like the Apostle Paul, then those that we know that seem out of touch and out of reach are not too far for God. Amen? So tonight we're going to look at Peter's problem. Peter's problem. You know, as we, as we look at this, um, we're going to deal with something tonight that that I know across the world is still, is still an issue. It really is. It's not as bad in this area, at least, that I have seen. But um, where I grew up, it was. But tonight, we're going to look at that internal, that internal aspect of, of prejudice that Peter dealt with. And so as we look at this, going from the beginning of Acts chapter 10, we're going to see how Peter dealt with some prejudice. But I want to ask the question tonight, what does the word prejudice actually mean what does the word prejudice actually mean according to Merriam Webster dictionary prejudice can be defined in three different ways first of all number one it can be defined as like a liking or dislike for one rather than another especially without a good reason here's another one number two it can be a feeling of unfair dislike directed against an individual or a group because of some characteristics such as race or religion, here's number three, can be an injury or damage to a person's rights. And so tonight we're going to talk about Peter's problem, which Peter dealt with a prejudice problem. You may not believe that tonight, but he did. And we're going to see how God, through divine intervention, taught him. Because I believe that prejudice and racism is taught behavior. And so tonight we're going to look at that. Many of you may not know this, but I grew up in extreme southern culture. I was born in Los Angeles. My family was from that area. And so we lived in a part of town where down our street were Hispanics, uh, African Americans, Native Americans. And uh, my grandparents retired when I was at age five, transplanted us from L.A. to L.A. You say, what are you talking about, Pastor? From Los Angeles to lower Arkansas. Los Angeles in 1988 when we moved was population several million people. It has far exceeded that population uh, by this time. But uh, my family thought it would be really wise to transplant us to Stamps, Arkansas, uh, home of the Stamps Quartet, also home of Maya Angelou, one of the great civil rights leaders who wrote the book, I Know Why the Cage Bird Sings, a uh, very historic, famous uh, poet and author, but um, moved us to a small town of 2,400 people. It was a one-horse town, and the horse only had three legs, right? We didn't have a stoplight. We had a flashing light. We had a gas station, one little small grocery store at that time, and uh, no sit-down restaurants at all. Everything was takeout. It was a very, very small town. Uh, the school that I went to was 7th through 12th grade, was all in the same building. 
all in the same building. And that particular area of the world that I lived in at that time was very, very mixed. Now, I will tell you, I moved from South Arkansas pastoring to Woodward, okay? Now, I joke around with talking about Frankie because Frankie's in the hospital, but uh, it was three weeks living in Woodward before I saw the first black person. And I asked myself, where are all the black people? Now, you'd have to know me because where I moved from, the racial uh, ratio of diversity was 60 to 40. It was 60% uh, Caucasian, uh, 40% African American, very, very few Hispanics. And so I was immersed in this culture, right? Very, very diverse culture. So I grew up around different cultures. I never really thought a whole lot about it. Uh, my, two of my best friends growing up as a small, small child was an, well, one of my neighbors who was African-American, and there was a, uh, a family that lived down the street that uh, was Hispanic, and those were my friends growing up. However, even though I was raised in that type of diverse culture, I still experienced very, very deep prejudice in the South. Very, very deep prejudice in the South. In fact, I remember a girl from my high school that her father beat her for dating, or just not even dating, but just talking to somebody of the opposite race. It was very, very tragic. Uh, very, very tragic. The word got around in town. It was very, very, very tragic. And I saw things time and time again. One of the worst things that I remember, and I hate to admit this, but um, I was in the fifth grade, okay? I was in the fifth grade, and I, my friend had invited me to a vacation Bible school. Now, it was a, an amazing time, and uh, it wasn't an Assemblies of God church. I won't go into what kind of church it was. It really doesn't matter. But uh, they invited me, and I remember I went Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. The little van would come by and pick me up at my house, and it was just awesome. I mean, for, for a fifth grader, it was awesome. All the lessons were awesome. The crafting was awesome. Everything was awesome. Well, I came home one Wednesday, and I asked my mom. I said, hey, can I ask? And I called my neighbor's name. I said, hey, can he go to vacation Bible school with me? And my mom was like, sure, I don't care. You have to ask his mom. So we went over, and I remember asking his mother, could he go to vacation Bible school with me? And, and she said, oh, sure, that's fine. So we walked to the front porch of, of my house. We had a big screened-in front porch, big concrete steps. So we sat down in the morning at the same time that the van had picked me up all those other consecutive days. Went out of the corner of my eye. I saw the church bus from afar off. And our little fifth grade hearts begin to beat and get excited to go and learn about Jesus. It was so amazing until all of a sudden when the van began to get closer to us, they slowed down for a second. And when they saw a young black kid sitting on the steps with me, they sped by and they didn't stop. At first we thought maybe they didn't see us, maybe somebody didn't care. But what happened was that next day the pastor came and knocked on my front door. And my mom answered the door and, you know, he said a few things and said, Hey, I want to invite Brad to come to vacation Bible school. I want to explain what happened. And my mom wasn't real sanctified at that time. And she said, It doesn't matter what happened. And she said some other words that were not tongues. And she slammed the door in his face, and we didn't go back. 
But I want to let you know something, that prejudice is something that is not natural. It's something that's taught. Let me explain what I mean by that. If you were to take a white toddler and a black toddler or a white toddler and a Hispanic toddler or a black toddler and a Hispanic toddler and put them in a room and they would notice the differences of each other's skin, but they would play with each other. Prejudice is something that is taught, it's ingrained, and unfortunately, there was a generation of people that they were taught that by their grandparents and grandparents, and it's not just black and white, there's other things as well uh, in that regard. You say, Pastor, why in the world are you even talking about something like that tonight? Because that's exactly what was going on with Peter. It's exactly what was going on with Peter. Peter had a prejudice issue. And I think there's no mistake that the Holy Spirit places this inside the framework of the newly founded church and gives us some insight into Peter's life. So let's talk about Peter for a minute. Peter was a mighty man of God. He was a disciple. He was one that Jesus caught by the, sea, by the seashore. He was by the lake fishing. And Jesus came by and he told them, follow me. He says, and I will make you to become fishers of men. And so Peter left his net, and he began to follow Christ and, and, and all of those things. And, and Peter had this little bit of rivalry, rivalry with John. You know, if you read the scripture, you, you remember that uh, John was referred to as uh, the beloved disciple who had his head on the breast of Jesus. And, and, you know, Peter was the one who was outspoken. He was boisterous. He was the one who said, I, I will never leave you, Lord. How many of you know you should never say what you won't do? I'll never leave you, Lord. I'll, I'll never turn my back on you. Peter was the one that was, he was rough. He was, he was boisterous. He was the one who was trying to bodyguard for Jesus and cut a guy's ear off and, and, and all of these things. And then all of a sudden, when the heat of the battle was on, and Jesus was taken to the cross and, you know, and, and, and those things, and he had already denied the Lord. Jesus told him, he said, Simon, Simon, Satan has desired to sift you like wheat, but I prayed for you that your faith not fail. But when you're converted, strengthen your brethren. And, and the Bible says when the cock crowed three times, Peter had denied the Lord. And, and at the shadow of the cross, whenever Jesus was hanging at Golgotha, well, while John was there and Mary was there, Peter was in the shadows of the cross. This big talker, this boisterous one, whom Jesus, you know, he had said, Jesus, I will never leave you. Now, the great thing about Peter's life is God is merciful. Because if you've read the gospel account, you've ever heard the story at Easter time, at resurrection time, you understand that when Mary and the ladies met at the tomb and they saw that it was empty and, you know, the gardener was there and the angels and all of, that thing, all of those things, and Jesus appeared to them and said, go tell the others and Peter. Jesus was looking out for him. Jesus forgave Peter. Jesus restored Peter. And then we're set up to Acts chapter 2 in the upper room. The Holy Spirit's poured out. Tongues of fire, wind like a mighty rushing of wind, filled the whole place where they're sitting. They were speaking with tongues. The power of God came and touched all of them. And Peter, it was Peter. Everybody say it was Peter. It was Peter. 
Peter, standing out, when they were down in the streets, began to preach to those people. Peter who denied the Lord. Peter who had turned away. Peter who, who was, um, you know, very zealous. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. And he was changed. This Jewish man had been engulfed by the fire of the Holy Spirit. But even then, Peter had an issue. Because in Jewish culture, up until this time, you've got to understand it. The whole point of the Holy Spirit being poured out on the day of Pentecost, are you still with me? The whole reason for the tongue. Tongues was a sign. It was the initial sign. That's what it was. It was a sign of a new covenant, the sign of a new day. The Bible says they all in their own languages heard them speaking the mighty works and wonders of God. What was the whole point of that? It was about the gospel reaching every tribe and every tongue. The door of the gospel had flung wide open. But yet, these Jewish people, Peter in specific, all of his life, they were taught Jews. The Jews are God's people. Nobody else is God's people. The Jews are God's people. Uh, everything else is for, you know, everybody else. But the Jews, they're God's special people. And, and so in the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, because the Jews initially had rejected the Messiah, then the Bible said Jesus came to his own, that his own received him not, he became the cornerstone which the builders rejected. The Bible says that the door of the gospel was open to every tribe, every nation, every kindred, every tongue, so that as much as they, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. You don't have to be a Jew to be born again. Amen. You can be an Indian. You can be a Hispanic. You can be an African. You can be an Asian. Come on. You can be a Heinz 57. It doesn't matter. A Samaritan. You can be whatever. But all who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And Peter initially struggled with that. But meanwhile, there was a man who was religious was not a Jew he wasn't a Christian he was a good man he knew God though he wasn't entirely sold out to God he was, his name was Cornelius he was of the Italian regiment and the Bible says that he, fe he did fear God and he, he was a giver he was generous to the poor he gave alms and one day you know he was praying and the Lord sent an angel to Cornelius you can find this right at Acts chapter 10 starting in the first couple of verses Cornelius was genuinely seeking after God. He was hungry. He was pursuing. He was seeking. I'm starting to see a pattern here. Because wasn't it just a few weeks ago we saw where an Ethiopian was sitting there reading something he didn't understand and God sent a deacon to him? Isn't that comforting to know that if somebody is seeking after God, that he will reveal himself to them. That's, I don't want to get into this, but that's why Muslims across the world are having dreams of Jesus. And they're being converted in Muslim countries where missionaries can't get in without being beheaded. Because they're seeking after the truth. And the Bible says, when you seek me, you will find me when you seek me with your whole heart. 
And Cornelius, though he was religious, he had a heart that was bent towards God because he was giving. He was praying. He just wasn't all the way on one side or the other. We're going to see that because he got saved later on in the chapter. But the first thing I want you to see tonight is this. is Number one, it's the command to Cornelius. An angel appeared to him and he said, I want you to go and I want you to find a man by the name of Peter. And he told him where he was staying at. And he says, when you get there, he's going to tell you what it is that you need to do. Now, there are a few things here that we need to make note of. First of all, Cornelius wasn't a Jew, nor was he a Christian. Like I said, he was a Jewish sympathizer at, at least, and he was uh, somebody who did believe in God. He was a generous man. He just wasn't saved. Here's the second thing. I want you to take notice that an angel appeared to him and told him to go find Peter. Here's what I want you to know. An, the angel appeared to him and directed him to the right place. But, everybody say but. This is important. Don't miss this. The angel did not preach the gospel to him. That's not their job. That's our job. The angel are ministering spirits, as we read a few weeks ago, sent to minister to those who are the heirs of salvation or to minister to those who will inherit salvation. Cornelius was seeking after God. He was getting ready to get saved. So an angel comes and he says, hey, there's a man over here by the name of Peter and you need to go talk to him. He's going to tell you some words that you need to follow. And so I'm sure this was a little bit crazy, but nevertheless, the angel led him to where he needed to go. And we know this, that Cornelius was a serious seeker. He was seeking the heart and the plan of God. Now this passage today, I've wrestled with it for the last couple of days. It's hilarious to me because we see two people in this passage who are at the, the opposite spectrum. You've got Cornelius, who's not a Christian, he's not a Jew, he's just kind of religious because in that Italian culture there were lots of different gods that he was accustomed to and the Christian God was something that he was familiar with or the, the Judaistic God and so it wasn't a foreign concept. But now we have Peter who thinks only Jewish people need to be saved. And now God has told Cornelius, I want you to go talk to Peter. And simultaneously... There's something supernatural that's happening. It's not in your notes tonight, but if you want to find this in your Bible, it's in Acts chapter 10, starting at verse number 9. The Bible says, The next day, as they went on their journey, that would be Cornelius and his people, as they drew near to the city, Peter went to the housetop and began to pray around the hour. And then he began very hungry, and he wanted to eat, but while they made ready, meaning they made the meal ready, he fell into a trance. Now, I don't know what that looks like, but anyway, dude had an encounter with God on a rooftop. And all of a sudden, Peter sees out of heaven a sheet that is bound by four corners comes down out of, out of heaven. And on it, the Bible says, are all kinds of four four uh, hooved creatures and, and all different types of living beings and he hears a voice that speaks and says Peter arise, kill and eat and Peter responds to the Lord he said I can't do that I'm paraphrasing, he says I can't do that he says I, I'm a Jew I can't eat anything that's unclean 
Because in Jewish culture, Levitical law, there were certain animals that they chewed the cud. If they had hooves, different types of things, they were not allowed to eat. And a voice spoke from heaven and said, Simon, Simon, he says, do not call common what I have cleansed. And God in this moment was not necessarily trying to emphasize on increasing Peter's dietary restrictions. But God was trying to show him that the people that he was prejudiced against, God had accepted into the royal family. Now, aren't you glad that even, now listen, Peter was spirit-filled, but he still had a prejudice problem. Now, aren't you glad that the Holy Spirit can help you unteach some things and unlearn some things? Amen. I'm glad he was teachable. I'm glad he listened. And, and at that moment, what happened? Peter got a revelation. He said, you know, it's not unlawful for Jewish men to keep company with or to go with, to, with one of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Uh, verse 29, therefore, I came without objection as soon as I was sent for. He said, I asked them, for what reason have you sent for me? So Cornelius said, Four days ago, I was fasting. Now, he was a faster too until this hour. And at the ninth hour, I prayed in my house. And behold, a man stood before me in a bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayers have been heard. Your alms have been remembered in the sight of God. Send therefore to Joppa and call Simon, whose surname is Peter. He's lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner, who is by the sea. When he comes, he will speak to you. And so he went to, so I sent to you immediately and you have done well to come. Now, therefore, we are all present before God to hear all the things that have been commanded to you. So the first thing we looked at is the command to Cornelius. The second thing we need to look at is the correcting of Peter. God, at the same time, is using an unsaved man named Cornelius to go and to fetch for a man by the name of Peter, who's a disciple of Jesus, who doesn't think that Cornelius in the natural deserves the time of day. But both of them had a divine encounter where God began to change some things in their life. I like Peter's response because he said, Lord, I can't do that. But it's interesting here. The Bible doesn't explicitly say, but let me tell you what, what um, the rabbi that was uh, teaching with us in Israel uh, told us about this sheet. You know, um, the Bible specifically says that it was a sheet lowered from the heaven down to the earth, bound by the four corners. I can't prove this with Scripture. I'm just telling you what the Jews believe, their interpretation of that, the Messianic Jews. They believe that this sheet that was bound up by four corners from the heaven was a prayer shawl. One of the most holy things that a Jew would possess. And so for a prayer shawl to be touching a pig or something like that would be like the most holy thing touching the most unholy thing. It was unheard of. Now, whether or not that's the actual case or not, I tend to trust those people who live in that part of the world who study the Bible and uh, have looked at it from a Hebraic custom. But nonetheless, we see Peter had to come into contact with the reality that God had changed some things and now had given permission and provision to be able to access. And Peter says, Lord, I can't do it because it's unclean. And Jesus said, don't call common what I have cleansed. And so then, Peter and Cornelius meet. 
He goes back to Cornelius' house, and he says, all right, I'm here. What is it that I'm supposed to do? And Cornelius says, well, you know, four days ago I was fasting, praying, blah, blah, blah. An angel appeared to me, man in a white garment, said to go, go here, find this man. And it just sounds like a big crazy thing. And he's like, all right, we're here. And so Peter, you know what he does? From this moment on, Peter preaches the gospel to them. So the third thing we're going to see tonight is the converting of the Gentiles. This led to Peter coming to Cornelius' house and preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ to them. So in this message, it's interesting. Go back with me to um, verse 34 and notice this in his message. I love Peter because Peter's blunt, he's bold, he's honest. Notice what he says. It says, then Peter opened his mouth, verse 34, and said, in truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. This is so awesome right here because what Peter is telling them is it's, it's preaching in a testimony form because you've got to understand just probably hours before this or however long that journey took from where he was staying to Cornelius' house, his mindset had completely shifted. And now he realizes that Jesus died to save everybody. And it wasn't just the Jewish nation that needed to be saved but it was the Gentiles. And he began to preach peace through Jesus Christ, that he is Lord of all. And then he's, verse 37, he says, the word that you know was proclaimed throughout all Judea began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and he went about doing good. And he talked about how Jesus was crucified, rose again on the third day, showed himself alive to witnesses that he had predetermined and was caught back into heaven. And I mean, Peter was just preaching the gospel to Cornelius' household. And here's the amazing thing. I absolutely love this. The Bible says, and while Peter was yet speaking these words, verse 44, the Holy Spirit fell upon those who heard the word. While Peter was preaching, man, he was preaching up a storm. The Bible says while he was still speaking. You know what that means? He didn't give a formal altar call or anything like that. Heaven invaded earth, and as he was preaching, they grabbed onto it as Jesus as Messiah. And uh, all of a sudden, the power of the Holy Spirit filled Cornelius' house, and they began to speak in tongues and magnify God. It was an amazing thing that these Gentiles were now accepted by God and filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. Here's what I want you to see. Verse 45 says this, And those of the circumcision, which are the Jews, who believed were astonished. For as many who came with Peter, because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. Now, Here's the next thing and the last thing I'm going to share with you. The fourth thing, fourth thing is we see the confirmation of their conversion. Now, I told you um, a few weeks ago, whenever Philip went to the eunuch, the eunuch was reading the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah 53, and it says, beginning at that scripture, he preached Jesus unto him. Right? He preached Jesus unto him. And I talked about being led of the Holy Spirit in evangelism. 
And I talked about how a person cannot be saved apart from the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel changes people's lives. The gospel changes people's hearts. People are not changed through good works. They're not saved through our sacrifice. They're changed and saved through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so Peter, for these people to be saved, he had to preach to them. That was God who set it up. It was God who aligned the meeting and brought them all together in one place. You could say that this was a divine appointment. The converting of the Gentiles. The Bible says there was a great reception as the word was preached and they were gloriously saved. Now they accepted Christ. Now notice this. The power of the Holy Spirit fell upon them. Fell upon them. Now we're going to see this throughout the book of Acts as we begin to look at this. I make no mistake about it. No apology about it. I am and we are thoroughly Pentecostal. Amen. There are a lot of people uh, today in the world who are ashamed of that. And because they're ashamed of that, I'm ashamed of them. Amen. People say, what would you be if you, wouldn't, if you weren't Pentecostal? I told them I'd be ashamed. Amen. I believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. believe in the authority of preaching the name of Jesus. I believe that there's uh, power in prayer. I believe that he's given us signs and gifts uh, according to the scripture, the power of the Holy Spirit in operation in our lives. And so this is significant because the upper room experience with the, those who were there, who were gathered there, were, were all of Jewish uh, descent that the power of the Lord came upon those people who were of Jewish descent but now if Peter was skeptic at all that sealed the deal because now he saw that they received the Holy Spirit just like we did at the beginning now here's the question how did he know that they received the Holy Spirit? How'd they know? Was it a guessing game? Did they, did, they, did they giggle? Did they fall out? Did they shake? Did they shimmy? I don't know. They might have. They might not. I don't know. But there is one thing concurrent and consistent throughout the book of Acts. And his very first mention was found in Acts chapter 2. He said in, in, uh, in Acts chapter 2, verse 4, it says, And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak with tongues. How many were filled? They were all filled. How many of them spoke with tongues? They all did. It wasn't 50-50. It wasn't 75-25. It wasn't 60-40, 70-30, 80-20, 90-10. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they all spoke with tongues. Well, now we're starting to see a pattern, right? In Acts chapter 8, when Paul was found on the road to Damascus, he was struck down. He was temporarily blinded by the light. Ananias comes, lays hands, and God tells him, Ananias, go and lay hands on Saul. He's my chosen vessel. Uh, he's my son. 
go lay hands on him and pray that he might receive his sight and the Holy Spirit. Well, some theologians are going to park up right there. And they're going to say, well, pastor, it doesn't say Paul spoke in tongue. No, it doesn't. But it's implied. Because the scripture says in Corinthians, Paul said, I thank God I speak in tongues more than everybody. So he did. We know he did. Okay? Then what happens in Acts chapter 10? These believers were filled with the Holy Spirit. The power of the Holy Spirit came upon them. How did they know? They knew because they heard them speak with tongues. Now, I'm not going to jump ahead of myself, but let me just tell you, this is not the last time you are going to see or hear this in the book of Acts. You need to know this. Why? Because there are people who think that you go to a weirdo church. They speak in tongues. You're weird. No, you're weird because you don't. It's in the Bible, folks. It's the very foundation of the church. Well, Jesus didn't say nothing about tongues. Yes, he did. Mark 16, Jesus, red letter. Going all the world, preach the gospel. These signs of all them that believe. In my name they shall cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. Jesus talked about it. So it's foundational. But there was a confirmation of their conversion, and they saw them and they heard them speak with tongues. We're going to bump into this in a few, in a few weeks whenever we see Simon the sorcerer is, is, is uh, seeking, and, and he's trying to buy the power of the Holy Spirit with money. We're going to see this in Acts 19 where Paul finds some disciples passing through the upper coast of Ephesus. We're going to see it over and over again. But here's what I want you to know. These Gentiles were saved. The people knew that they had received the Holy Spirit because they heard them speak with tongues. And Peter said, man, they they spoke in tongues just like we did. And then the next thing was, he said, how can we forbid water that these be baptized? And so they went and they baptized these new converts. There was a conversion of these Gentile people. So what can we learn from this in closing tonight? You ready? Here we go. Here's the takeaway for me from Acts chapter 10. The major takeaway is this. The gospel was opened up to all people, right? Not just the Jewish nation. And God had to work through Peter. And I don't fault people. Listen, I'm serious. When I see people who are prejudiced, like for real, I mean, you don't understand the deep south I was raised in. One of my best friends who was black growing up, I just did his wedding in Dallas a couple weeks ago. Uh, I remember the day the KKK threw literature in his grandmother's yard. Like, that's the kind of south I'm talking about I grew up in. It, horrible. I mean, we, we, we rolled up on a Klan rally one day on a, on a uh, flatbed trailer on the side of a highway. I mean, deep south. I mean, you know, deep south. Deep, 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 deep south. I don't even consider Oklahoma, to, I consider it to be the Midwest, not necessarily the south south, but the deep south. But what I was going to say is, I feel bad for those people because I don't agree with them, but I know that that's a taught behavior. So it's something that they got from somewhere. But here's what I want to let you know tonight, that if a person does have some type of prejudice in their heart towards some group of people, with the Holy Spirit's help, right, it's not too difficult for him to change, right? The Holy Spirit can change even the most 
deep-rooted thinking. And so that, that's significant to me because he used Peter, even when Peter didn't have it all together, but yet he was willing to learn to listen, and he was willing to learn to change. Here's what I found out. By, I'm, I, I feel like I've been a very cultured person. I've been to Latin America and, and to Africa and to Alaska and seen the Indians there and the Native American people. Here's what I found, right? And I think those of you in this room can testify, and I'm, I'm done. I'm closing. Here's what I found out. There are good people in all cultures. But as equally true, there are bad people in all cultures. And we would be wise not to lump everybody into the same group. Amen? Hallelujah. If Jesus died for everybody and Jesus loves everybody, then that's what we should do. Amen? We, we sang it growing up, red and yellow, black and white. They are precious in his sight. And I found out that's easier to sing than it is to work out in people's theology when it's ingrained. Amen? But I'm thankful that the church is, as a whole has come a long way uh, through the years. Because here's the important thing. Close your Bible. You can stand. People don't realize this. Those of us who are Christians, right? I mean, I don't know anybody in this room who's Jewish by blood. So we're Christians. We're gen- you and I are Gentiles. The book of Romans says we've been grafted in to the tree. We're part of the royal family, right? We have been grafted in. In, in. Some people are uncomfortable with this terminology, but you can say in essence like this, we're, we're a, a type of a spiritual Jew. We're not a Jew. We're the circumcised of the heart. That's what the scripture says. But we're born again by adoption into God's holy family. Now get this, we're a Gentile nation. The church is made up of every tribe, every nation, every kindred, every tongue, right? All people. Get this, the rapture of the church, the second coming, the catching away of the saints, get this, is a Jewish Jesus coming back to marry a Gentile bride. People who have such an issue with interracial marriage should do a study on that right there. Because the only reason God told them not to do it in the Old Testament was because of the idolatry of the other cultures. But I'm telling you, if they love Jesus, it ain't nothing wrong with it. Amen?